Welcome back, everybody. This episode's with Bob Boniel, the founder of Mode Studios in Seattle, a longtime inspiration to me. He's kind of a legend in the live show production industry, being at the forefront of new media technologies as they made their way onto the stage. Coming up in the theatrical world, he was an early adopter of projection mapping and the use of complex control systems to achieve new effects that pushed the envelope on Broadway and later in the concert touring world. Our conversation was a short one, but a fun one. I've been waiting for a while to have a chance to talk with Bob, and it was fun to just sit back and see where things went. Evidently, we're both big fans of futurism because that's exactly where this conversation ended up. I'll let you listen to it, and we'll get right into it. Hope you enjoy. So how's it going? How are you doing? I don't know. Ups and downs, right? Uh, uh, to be perfectly honest, uh, somewhat dismayed, demoralized, and disaffected by uh, politics, by the incredible racism and intolerance that seems to be rooting and growing. I'm, I'm fucking over the plague. Like, just like, yeah, man, we're getting hit by all, by all things from all directions. It's kind of crazy. It feels like things are falling apart right now. It does. It does. And, and I, and I really, really miss being with groups of people in the space and witnessing art together. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, and I'm, and we have like at the studio and in work, like we have things we're doing and it, and and, you know, I can't claim an existential crisis like I'm about to lose the place where we live or like we can't eat. And so I have to temper anything I'm saying by 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 acknowledging I know that there are other people dealing with that, but people I know. But at the same time, it's just like it's hard to to try to be functional right now. It's hard to try to think aspirationally or artistically or creatively i mean it's uh present circumstances are a bit of a beat down <laughs> yeah they are and it's 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 kind of crazy it's you know the the question of like what can you do you know and the way i i think of it i i've always tried to think of it is in um like spheres of influence you know it's so easy to get uh overwhelmed and just demoralized when you think about things that are too far out of your own sphere of influence. You know what I mean? And it's like the, the people who are immediately around me, we, we have this little uh, art community here that I'm, I'm part of and that, you know, is a very big part of my life. And, you know, that makes up kind of like my closest family unit outside of my, my immediate family. You know what I mean? So it's like me and myself, like what do I need to survive right now in this minute? And then like, what, does my little group need what can i do because i have i have influence over that you know you can you can control you can control that it's hard to the further removed from your own sphere of influence you go the harder it is to um to feel in control i think that can be that can be fucking crazy especially now with the forest fires you know it's like well covid meet social unrest meet forest fires it's like fuck can't even go outside anymore it's like i leap down here you guys have uh you guys got some rainforests i can see it out your window <laughs> well yeah we do but we have fires on the olympic peninsula we have fires in the cascades we have you know we have the same situation nowhere not at currently at the scale that that uh northern and central california have going on mm. uh, but it gets i'm actually surprised we haven't 
like last last summer, all of August was just smoke. Yeah, did you feel it or did you get it in Seattle? Because yeah, we Seattle, had fires. Right? There were fires in British Columbia. There were fires in California. Yeah, and we seem to be sampling everybody's smoke. <laughs> well, you know what? What can I say? We just, you know, we send it all over the place. I'm sure, uh, you know, Europe and China, they're like, oh, that smells like California fires right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, it's it's crazy. I'm really glad that um, that we're able to sit down and do this. You know, it's like I started this podcast about a year and a half ago. I only do about an episode a month, so I haven't done you know a ton, but. Um, you were definitely one of the people on my short list. I was like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta find an excuse to, to catch Bob and, uh, and sit down with you. Well, thanks. I mean, I, I hope that, uh, I hope that I can deliver an interesting conversation today. Yeah. I mean, I, I do have to confess that today in that sine wave I was kind of describing of like, you know, ups and downs today's been a bit of a down day. You know, I, I started the day and tried to get things done and by mid morning, I was, uh, I gave up. Like I just said, okay, t- I'm gonna t- today. I'm gonna uh, go drive rods out in the garden and tie the sunflowers back. And uh, isn't that cathartic though? Like you know, when you like when you go outside and you put your hands in the dirt. And we have a little garden too. It's nothing, you know. It's nothing crazy. It's very humble, but it's, you know, it's like a succulent garden, and it 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 brings green to, to our otherwise very uh, like clinical space. And I find that working in that garden gives me such a sense of satisfaction and relaxation. It's like unplugging, right? That's important, man. And some days are like that. Sometimes you're just like, fuck it. I can't, I can't even deal. Well, and it's true. And, and I think that especially now we kind of have to, you have to put your own mask on before you can turn and help the person next to you put their mask on, you know, the, is what they say on the plane. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and it's, so I think the same thing is going on. And, and I, and I know of three surefire ways to shift my mindset if I'm in a fugue state of bad. Right. Mm. One of them is to do some kind of physical activity, like yeah. walk the dog. You know, for me, I enjoy swinging kettlebells, like doing that, getting my heart rate up. So, you know, move your body, move your, move your brain. Uh, A friend of mine likes to say, second, the garden thing, getting outside, breathing the air, touching, growing things. Mm. And three, going and finding somebody else who has a problem and being of service to them. Those, Those three things guaranteed will shift your mindset. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's so funny that you said that. I was, uh, I was talking to a friend about that the other day about how um, helping other people is, it's like, you know, there's this debate. It's like, is true altruism truly altruistic because it, it has such a benefit to you personally. And I feel like just like exercise, right? The people who realize that um, it's almost like you feel bad for the people who, who, don't understand that because they never get to that place where they can, they can reach that, that level of like self, um, activation. Do you know what I mean? Like, like helping other people is, is a fundamental part of being human. And if you miss that, you're missing a part of being human. Oh, absolutely. And I get what you're saying about like, it's too bad that more people don't figure that out. It's, uh, uh, you know, there's a 
there's a, a funny saying in the business. A lot of people know that I'm a recovering addict. And it, it's like, and so at LDI, when everybody gets together at the circle bar, everybody makes the joke that I'm like the industry's designated driver. <laughs> but one part of that, one beautiful gift of recovery for me is that I experienced a bottom, right? Like sure. I, I lost just just about everything. Yeah. And then I had to, and so I had to, like, I had to look at my causes and conditions. I had to start being honest with myself. And then I started being exposed to these tools, like the things we're talking about, mm -hmm. you know, and there's, and I would say that, that more often than not, I have had this discussion with other people in recovery from various things. And you, there's this, this common conception that it's too bad that more people don't like have this terrible thing that happens to them. Uh, because it then opens your eyes to like these ideas of service, right? Well, that, that, that concept is like dynamic range, man. And it's like, life is nothing without dynamic range. Like if, if you're just like kicking it, even keel your entire life, not only has it got to be pretty boring, it's like you miss out on, yeah, like the diversity of experience. It's true. I, I had no idea that you were you were an addict, Bob. That's that's cool to know. It gives me like, yeah, perspective. Well, yeah, and and as such, I experience that dynamic range. I clip right. Yeah, I go too high and I get right. too low, and yeah. then and then I want to make and then I want to make the situation better, or I want to be numb, right? So I actually have to put a compressor. On my dynamic, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is okay for me, right? It's, it's uh, because I know what it is to travel to the top and to the bottom. And I yeah. have that as an artist, as an author, as a human being. I have that perspective now. And so yeah. I have that as a resource. But I don't need to, I need to be careful with my dynamic range. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's also true. It's like, you can definitely like, it's like swinging a kettlebell, right? It's like, you can definitely like throw out your shoulder. You can just, yeah, it's, it's about balance, but um, yeah, yeah. It's about balance, right? It's like, if you have too much um, dynamic range, you're going to have problems. But I think that the same is true for like moderating all elements of your life into like the, the finest of minutiae. You know, it's like you can kind of drown yourself in that in that mund mundanity. So know? what? So where do you put yourself on that spectrum? I mean, I've known you for quite a while, and I mean, in terms of like, if we look at like, kind of like your career path and the things you've done and you've been interested, man, I mean, you've had some wide swings. Like, you know, yeah. how, do, how do you set boundaries for your dynamic range? You know, man, I feel like that is a fundamental part of growing up. You know, I think that. Um, you know, my twenties were definitely a shit show. Um, starting digital ambience was, was a, was a huge help because it, it gave me a real focus and drive. You know, I, I've always been like, um, I've always pushed hard, but I think the problem lies when you don't know what you're pushing hard towards and you, you just go off the rails in one way or the other. And, um, you know, when I met you back, it must've been like 13, 14 years ago, at least 10. Yeah. Right? And, oh, yeah. uh, I think more like, more like the former though. I think it was like 13, 14. Yeah. Yeah. And I was definitely doing the concert touring thing and I, I didn't really know what was going on. And then, um, when, when that, you know, when I moved to the Bay, uh, I stopped touring and I was just like, I'm going to, you know, be, I'm going to live somewhere, live in the Bay and did that thing. And, um, 
yeah, it was a real, uh, a real balancing thing to start my own company. And I, and I think that combined with also, uh, the physical activity, right. Learning, learning that it's, it's a mind body, right. Not just like a mind <laughs> and you can't just ignore your body. And, uh, and, and that helps even you out a lot. Yes. Right. Yeah. That's cool that you're, I mean, you look like you, you, you exercise and it, it, you can tell like by looking at somebody, you're like, Oh yeah, you know, this person, this person's active. And that, yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't claim to be like buff or, but, but here's, what, here's be, the man. gift that gives me, I move, I can move well. Like I'm comfortable. Yeah. I don't get, I don't get up and go, Oh, you know, it's like, I just, right. You know, I just get up, you know, and, uh, that, and they said, isn't it interesting? They say that, that, that's a, Absolute uh, precursor is the wrong word, but but uh, antecedent to to longevity is your ability to get fully down on the floor and fully back up without using your hands. Interesting, interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, being long lived, it's more than just a lifespan, right? They call it health span, and it's it's about yeah. the duration of yeah. time that you are like healthy and active and and you know, like a full functioning human being, um, during your life, like that's what counts. Right. And that's so linked to, to physical movement and exercise. It's really important. What do you think of, uh, Elon Musk's news this week about the Neuralink, Neuralink. thing? Like, what do you think of the Neuralink thing in general? Oh my God, man. That's such a, it's such a rabbit hole because I, I admire him as a futurist. Like I, my brain goes to the same places, you know, like he's, He's in a position, he's doing things about it, but it's like, you know, you look at the trajectory of, of, of computing, right? It's like when we started this journey back in the forties or earlier, you know, these things were buildings and then eventually they became rooms and then they were on your desk and then they were on your lap and then they were next to your head in like the cell phone form. And then they were on your face, they're on your wrist, they're going in your brain, man. Like you don't have to be like... A, you know, a, a psychic to see this, you know, you don't have to be Nostradamus to see the trajectory of, of computation and where it's going. I think that he is thinking very big picture about very important possibilities, namely uh, the, the potential for our, our tools to, to outstrip us in terms of their ability to, 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 to be cognizant. And I think that, you know, like his, his, if you've listened to him speak, it's fascinating. He's a very fast, he's a very strange guy. He's very fascinating. Um, and I think that his concept of taking, you know, like the human brain, which is essentially our amygdala, which is like our reptile brain. You know, we want to, we want to fight and fuck and flee and eat, you know, these, these really basic drives. And then we put a logic center on top of that, you know, your frontal cortex. And then now all of a sudden you can, you know, you, you think, and you can do math and you think that's in charge. It's like, that's not in charge, man. We're still being driven by our, our, our amygdalas. And he's like, well, let's just slap a third layer on there, man. Let's let's interface computers so that that bandwidth issue between, you know, like our thumbs are no longer the bottleneck. <laughs> and yeah, it's it's, uh, it's fascinating. It we is live fascinating. In the future. We live in fucking sci-fi, man. <laughs> no, no, I, and that's a rabbit hole I willingly go down. I, I think that there's a there's a compelling argument that if you want to talk about it in terms of you know, evolutionary frameworks that maybe the point of us is as a stepping stone to an evolution of intelligent technology. 
yeah you know we're not, you know the smart monkeys are not the, are not the primary end of the chain the smart monkeys are here to enable maybe uh you know a conscious silicon yeah well um, the change of state and self evolution and uh when you when you start to look i've been really interested in in like um like like bioscience and and, and like medical science um especially uh like genomics yep I think that, you know, if we, if we have been living in like the digital revolution for the last 50 years, it's like the next step is the, the, the genomic revolution. And, and what that means, it's like, who even knows, man, like when we can edit our own source code, all bets are off. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, then the, the artist in me is of course fascinated by the aesthetic <laughs> adaptations. I, I want know. a tail. Like I want a tail, man. You know, <laughs> yes. I, I would be down for that. And that, you know, many of the sci, a lot of the sci-fi that I get super into, they talk, you know, they talk about human adapts, you know, like yeah. that through genomics, they adapt to, uh, you know, low G environments or they adapt to super hot worlds or they adapt to look like a cat. Yeah, yeah. Right? Now I'm down, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, you think me, you know? I start thinking about Neuralink, and I I am very prone to people like saying to people, "Sign me up. If I could go cyborg, let's do it." Right? Like, I'm I'm like you know, but then I'm a little bit further along the track of the of mortality maybe than some. So for me, I'm like, yeah, as soon as I can be downloaded, let's get that shit happening. Cause uh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's another really interesting question. It's like, what would, you know, like if you download yourself, uh, what's his name? Um, not Asimov, the, the science, the futurist who's working for Google. What the fuck is his name? Cat, anyway. Uh, uh, Kurzweil. Yeah. Kurzweil. He's like, I want to be downloaded. And it's like, I don't know if like, I don't know if I do, man, you know, I, I am all about, um, prolonging health span, right? And I think that there are lots of ways that we can like extend the 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 duration and the the the, the lifespan of our vehicles, like our meat vehicles. Yeah, you know? no, I agree. It's, you know, I, I I think I don't know what like what would consciousness look like outside of a body. It's like it's really hard to answer that question because even thinking about you know like what happens when you put yourself into a uh, a sensory depth tank. I don't know if you've ever done that. I've done yeah. it once and it, it, it it's equivalent to like a psychedelic experience. It it's, is. it's really fucking crazy. And it's like, when you remove all inputs, it's like, you just, yeah, it's like you are your inputs. So that VR simulation better be pretty fucking good. <laughs> Go insane. Yeah, there is that. Right. And that's, that's the, that's the flip side, the, the bad side. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm into the health span idea. You know, yeah, it's uh, and you know, I, I like I've been I've been I'm on I'm on like peptide therapies and and uh, and uh, you know, HGH precursors and I do testosterone therapies and like I, I've always always like I remember back in the 90s being like, oh, I need to take acetylcholine because it's you know, I was into neutral acetylcholine. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much in that space, man. Like, you know, Dr. Sinclair, David Sinclair. Yeah. He is a fascinating guy, man, and he is doing some pretty fascinating research. Uh, we don't even have to go into it, but it's like, yeah, like I'm on that path, definitely. And I, I think, you know, it's, I, I can just say right now, I feel more healthy than I have ever felt in my life, you know, and that's like, like my ability to run and just 
and be active, my, my, my endurance and my, yeah, I just feel better than I've, I've ever felt. And, you know, I'm, I'm pushing 40, you know, I'm like 38 years old and it, it's like, I, I feel better than I did when I was 28. See, that's know? awesome. I, I, yeah, I, I definitely feel better than I did when I was 28, but when I was, <laughs> right. when I was 28, I was living in Vegas Yeah, man. <laughs> and it was, it, it was all a little harrowing. Uh, but where are you, where are you from? Rhode Island. Are you? You're East Coaster. Yeah. I think I knew that. I'm from Boston. Yeah, I grew well, up. Actually, New Hampshire. New Hampshire originally. But. I grew up in Bristol and in Cranston, Rhode Island. Went to went to school in Providence. Yeah. So that was, that's, if I, and if I'm in Rhode Island for more than, say, 90 minutes, I start talking like I'm from fucking Rhode Island, too. <laughs> you know, yo, let's go up down Federal Hill. That guy's got an IROC. You know, Fuck like, it, hey, bro. Yeah, bro. <laughs> See, I could do the Bostonian accent. Yeah, I got you can kind, kind of do the South Boston version of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So then when did you move out to the West Coast? Well, I just kind of always was heading West. You know, I I, I had, you know, at first I, when I first left Rhode Island, I, I really, really wanted to go on a tour, right? And I met the woman who would be my wife, Colleen. She was the head electrician at Trinity Repertory at the time. She gave me my first job in the theater when I was 17. And when I met her, she had just come off the road with U2. Like she had been, wow. on, she had done the Unforgettable Fire tour, I think it was. This was like 87. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, I want to do that. And she was like, you are not good enough. Uh, <laughs> so I really, so I really wanted to go on tour. So eventually I got hired to tour, but it was with the bus and truck of the Sound of Music. Right, like a non-union. If you had a check for ten thousand dollars and a cafetorium, we would load our show in and uh, do it. And you know, it was a whole bunch of one-nighters. But I went out on that tour, and when I got done with that tour, I moved to New York City. I dropped out of college, went to New York, and said, "Okay, this is this was it. I was going to leverage that." And then I, and then I did a bunch more touring, you know, and I, and eventually I got to do some bigger tours and stuff. But but then from New York I moved to to Vegas, uh, and then from Vegas I moved to Seattle. So. Okay, interesting. You skipped California. That's well, I could you know I I feel comfortable saying that I have lived in Los Angeles because there have been periods of like of like six to nine months of continuous yeah. time. When you've lived in a city for nine months, you've kind of lived there. Like you've, yeah. you know you. You have, Absolutely. You, you could credibly say, yeah, I live there. So, you know, I, and I love LA. I'm not, I'm not one of the people that hates LA. I, I like it just fine. Uh, LA is fine, man. I wouldn't want to live there. Honestly, like I've, I lived there for a little while and I got nothing against LA, but it's just, my vibe is, is very much Northern California. And I think honestly, if I, uh, if circumstances had been different and I ended up in Portland or Seattle, I would have stayed there. You know, it's, I feel Seattle has a, has a kinship with, with Boston, right? The Northeast. It's like, everybody's a little bit pissed off at the weather. I-90 to I-90, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, right. It's a road like too. No, I agree. And it's funny because all that touring, the moment I got to the Pacific Northwest, I knew. I'm like, yeah. oh, that's where I'm going. Like eventually right. that, that was where I was going to land. Yeah. Uh, and it just took me, you know, it took me, took me a while for that to happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you toured then. You toured out of out of the East Coast and over over to the West Coast. Well, yeah, I did a lot of these kind of 
uh, non-union Broadway shows. And uh, was it theatrical or concert? There were a couple little rock and roll things in the midst of there too. I did this, this short, very chaotic tour with Susie and the Banshees back in like 89 Mm. Uh, and uh and i uh, and uh, but i mainly did this broadway stuff i toured with some dance companies like with momix and palabolus and it would take you know it was only after i'd moved to seattle it was only when i designed my first concert tour that i that i went out and toured and did a concert tour wow that's interesting so you designed a tour before you, and that means that so that tour must have been very theatrical well, it's really, it's a funny and interesting. So I was, Colleen and I were designing Parsifal for Seattle Opera. And it was, this was in 2002-ish, I think, 2002, 2000, around 2002. And we were doing, you know, we were doing all kinds of like, we were doing crazy blended projection things off axis. And, so, and the, like the AV vendors like, you can't do that. And we're like, yeah, we think we can. You know, and we, were, we were kind of inventing our way out of problems we were creating. But but one of the things that happened on that show is we had a, a backup system of Verilites with some glass gobos in them in case the projection crapped out. And the guy who was programming those lights for us was named Chris Mader. And he was at the time the lighting designer for a Vancouver bar band that was about to explode called Nickelback. <laughs> and uh you know hey you know so uh so he said listen we're about to do our first big arena tour and the band really wants to do a production design that's more and he said theatrical now one of the funny things about that was i was convinced that we were getting a gig designing a tour for a different band nickel creek <laughs> right? which is maybe more my vibe because i'm like i'm an i'm a you know i'm a deadhead of old yeah. So I was like, oh, Nickel Creek, that's dope. That'll be fun. But but then it was Nickelback and it was the Silver Side Up tour. It was their first big tour. And then consequently, uh, I went on to design another six tours for them. Uh uh, so yeah, but but they brought they brought me in because I was the theatrical designer, you know, yeah. guy who came from opera, so I had to be serious. Right. You know, to do this show. And uh, well, I think there's some, there's something to be said for coming at concert touring can be, and concert stage design can be so like, I don't even know what the right word for it is, but like aggro for, for lack of a better term. Oh, right. Yeah. And it, it I, I feel like when I was touring, the, what I wished was that there was more room for, for like free form creativity that wouldn't, be brushed off as too like emotional do, do you know what i mean it, like the language of stage design is at least for from the concert touring perspective is very like very aggressive uh, no totally and there were other bands that came along they were like i i then got a crack at a lot of the bands that opened for nickelback over the years designing various things and you know some of those bands were suit were they you know you would talk to the guys in the band and they were just like you know they wanted you to put your to put the foot on the gas at the moment the show started you know let's drop a kabuki and then blah you know right, and then right. let's say blah you know for another, <laughs> you know two two hours fifteen minutes 
It's like, no, man, and it got to have dynamic range. Dynamic <laughs> range, right? And those gigs did not interest me. And, right. And, uh, you know, when I, and if I wandered into one that was like that, I would do it and then be done with it. Yeah. So, you know, one thing I can always, you know, you can have a lot of subjective discussion about Nickelback and Nickelback's music, but as a band, and by the way, I'll just come out and say, I'll confess it. I really like them. But yeah, then again, yeah. as an artist, I kind of have to fall in love with the things I work on. Sure. So, you know, I love the Broadway shows I've done. I love Nickelback. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. but but one thing you can say about those guys as a band is they were constantly interested at elevating the production and not elevating it in a way that they wanted everything at full at 100 miles an hour for every minute. They wanted... They, every time they gathered an audience in a room, they wanted the audience to be able to say that show was better than the last one they did. Right. You know? And yeah, man. It's, 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 it's rare when you have uh, a client, a, a, a band that you're working with that is truly tool was like that. Justin Timberlake was like that. Oh, right? it's like, oh yeah. Justin. Yeah, JT, absolutely. Tool too. Like, yeah, yeah. those guys are like, committed artists in terms of constantly wanting to elevate their game, constantly expose their audiences to a new form of consciousness shift, you know? Yeah. And they were also very progressive when it came to, um, to the visual elements, you know, like I, I toured with tool one, one tour. It was only one. Right. And I, I worked with Breck. Breck yeah. And Ridge Breck Haggerty, yeah. And he, awesome. he was, yeah, man, he's, he was, I consider him kind of like my mentor in terms of, uh, somebody who showed me how visuals and lighting design were the same thing, right? It was, it's all one visual experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's a genius. Like I, I haven't talked to him in a long time. I would love to. Yeah, but, the uh, way that Breck thought from the very beginning about controlling video and controlling light, lighting in an integrated way and expressing yeah. those thoughts in an integrated way, he was out in front of so many people. Yeah. Yeah. He was, I mean, so were you though, man, you were a pioneer when it came to projection design and in that era using projection as, um, as a stage element. I remember, you know, being so inspired by some of the work that I saw when I first met you, I was just like, damn, who is this guy? Like, <laughs> this is, it's so cool. You know, I came from the VJing perspective, but I, I wanted so much to be in the production design arena, but using the tools that I was in love with from the VJ world. And that's actually how we met, you know, like during the LDI years and yeah. like, yeah, man. And that, and, uh, Josh Flatel, who's another fucking mad scientist, you know, I actually, I just listened to another podcast with him. It was like LD. Oh, fuck. I can't even remember what the, the name of the, Oh, what the hell? Yeah, just uh, another another podcast that he was on. I got to hear him talk for for a while, and that was really cool to Josh, see what he Josh did. is absolutely my brother, you know, uh, and uh, he's he's been a student uh, for me at Cal Arts, uh, and then he's been a collaborator on numerous occasions. Yeah, I have a deep appreciation for how committed Josh is to his art. Yeah, man. You know, and he goes full in. Like he's uh, he goes down the rabbit hole. You know, it, it's funny. Like you know, the 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 personality of like a like an artist engineer. You know what I'm talking about? It's like the like those serious fucking wizards who are just 
they're artists, but they're also like the smartest people that you've ever met, you know, and like Breck is like that too. You know, he's just like, he'll find a problem and he'll just be like, this is my world. And he'll, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's, it's cool to, to surround yourself with those kind of, it's very inspiring. You know? Oh, definitely. And I know a whole bunch of people like that who, who, and those people are my constant collaborators. Like, like, like Josh, like Pablo Molina is, is another cat who I, I've done a lot of work with, who is like, he's a, he's a technological, he's this incredible intersection of technology and artistry. Um, yeah. Like uh, Sean Cagney. Yeah, man. Sean Cagney. Incredible mind for putting to, for putting together technology and artistry. Um uh Florian Mosley um I just saw him yeah I just hung out with Florian not too long ago we did a uh we did a like a class on uh this this new software called Smode oh yeah uh, yeah right on it's kind of it's kind of notchy isn't it it is man so we've adopted that as our weapon of choice for uh volumetric pixel mapping because it is uh like so disguise will not allow you to import 3d models and import arrays of pixels um with smode you can do that and and really it's like it's a small development group we're good friends with them and we're just like hey this is what we need and they made it um i love but yeah so florian came out to to the labs here in berkeley and and he was part of this class that we had we flew in uh vincent one of the smode developers and he did like a whole week-long class and i was just i didn't even know he was coming i was like holy shit i know you but um, yeah, it, it's. Uh, I love it's, being in the room with guys like that, and 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 women like that too, because there there are some women I work with who have that that same affinity, you know, and that they're the way that like all of those people we just talked about, and I would lump you into this classification too. The way that you all think, right, and the way that you all synthesize, you know, a technological viewpoint and opportunity into an artistic expression. And, and, you know, and, and a lot of people, and the funny thing is like, uh, I, you know, in the pantheon of people you work with, there'll be people who feel like some, uh, reservation about like, Oh, you know, Josh seems, you know, your guys over there seem touchy or something. And I'm like, (laughs) Oh no, they're just, they, they are thinking at speeds that you can't quite comprehend. And so to them, you just seem to be moving a lot slower. Well, everybody plays a role, right? When you have a project, everybody plays like a good project, man, is like a Swiss army knife. It's like, you've got somebody that fits all the different roles and like, you know, yeah, like that's a role. And and it's like in, in our industry, that is a serious asset. Like to have somebody who, who kind of just can wrap their head around whatever the fuck you throw at them. Yeah. And they're just like, oh yeah, I understand how this works. I see. I'm going to like, even if they don't know it, they'll learn it. Well, that's exactly it. Just a, and it seems like a simple question, and it doesn't seem like it would be too daunting. But to say that hasn't been done before, let's go figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and actually, if you ask that of ninety percent of people, they will not be able to do it, and it will not be because they don't have capacity. It will be because they are afraid. Right. You know, they're afraid to go out there. They're afraid to walk out on that tightrope without knowing that it's that it's attached to the other side. Right. You know, and it's and it's like yeah, a lot of those people do. And look, I am I am, I am going to say this out loud. I don't think like I'm a super geniusy artist. I don't I, I I think that what I am really good at 
is putting together those teams you're talking about. Yes. About hearing a a challenge that has to do with story or has to do with thought or has to do with communication from a client or from a collaborator or something. And then my, what I'm really good at is saying, okay, I need that person, that person, that person, that person, and that person, they are going to represent exactly the right pieces of the puzzle here. Yeah. Well, that's another role in, in, I don't even know what you call it. It's like kind of a project manager, but really it's, it's just the person who, who assembles the pieces to make a project reality. Right. And that, that's, that's as that is arguably the most important part, right? Because you need that, that center post that everything orbits around. And uh, yeah, man, I understand that a hundred percent. Well, and it's um, important for that center post to also, and this is the other thing that I've had the good luck to see, I seem to have this skill, is I seem to be able to listen and understand what's, and understand in my head what success looks like. Right. Like to be able to listen to a producer or listen to an architect or mm. listen to a, a, a brand activation client and have them describe something and then I can see and feel and hear in my mind's eye and ear uh, what 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 they want, right? Yeah. Even when they can't quite describe it. And then then the other part that I had that I seem to have is that I have an awareness that I can go find all these people who are way better than me at what they do. Right. And put them in a room together. Man, you know, I've have you ever heard of the list? Uh, it's a it's a group called Ooh Shiny. I don't think I have. Bob, I'm going to add you to this list, man. It's I got added a couple of years ago and it it's um it is an email list, like an OG email list, mm-hmm. but there are people from every like all the new media arts companies have some kind of presence on this list. Like all of the fucking badass forward thinking technologists, whether it's computer vision or AI or projection mapping or just creative coding interactivity. It's a list that there are constantly discussions that are blowing my mind in terms of um, people just pushing into unknown areas. And it's an email list, man. And you can just join in and, you know, it's, mostly people's uh, personal email addresses. So you don't really even know like who. Um, oh, I love that. I, I love, I love everything about what you're describing. Dude. It's so fucking cool, man. And the community is really, it's just a very dynamic, diverse, interesting community. I'll, I'll add you. Um, I'll, I'll send you an email after the podcast. And yeah, right I'll on. Get you on. Um, but yeah, that's actually been how I've found a number of the people that we've worked with on the last few projects is just by posting this list and saying, Hey, I have this, this challenge who, who, who's around. So are you guys working on, uh, interesting pieces now, like during all of this, this crazy shit or is things kind of scaled back? Yeah, we've got interesting things we're working on some big XR projects. XR seems to be super white hot right now, which makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so we're, you know, we're, we're doing a couple XR projects for, for some big consumer electronics brands in lieu of 
what they would have normally done for CES probably. Um, so we're working on that. We're working a lot on a lot of like virtual event production, which, which a lot of people have pivoted to that, but, but where we've kind of pivoted differently is to say, now, look, you know, what an event is, is really an in the moment act of community creation. Yeah. It's not about putting a great piece of content and ensuring that eyeballs can witness it. It's not, Mm -hmm. it's not just about that. Right. It has to be about giving an audience an ability to interact with each other and to give yeah. back and the energy and that the feedback loop of that of that content broadcast. So so we've been, you know, so we've been building platforms to do that. And then by doing that, we have inadvertently gone into building community based platforms, you know, that are bigger than just virtual events platforms, because some of what we brought to the virtual events platforms, people were like, hey, could we have this in a sort of perpetual way and use it to follow right. the community. And we're like, yeah, sure. You know, and then I think maybe the most interesting thing we're working on now is uh, it's a new musical show that is uh, some of the, some of the peeps who created Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Uh, are, such a good show. Such a good show, right? And there, so it, it's uh, this one guy in particular, Bob Kinkle and this, this woman, Dina Fanai, who were part of that posse they've come up with this other show called Avalona, which is sort of same epic quality as TSO, but it's rooted kind of in the world of like, I don't know if you've heard of or are familiar with the book, The Mists of Avalon, which is mm. it's the Arthurian legend told from the viewpoint of the women. Interesting. It's no, I haven't. Fucking awesome. It's a great book. It's a great piece of fantasy uh, fiction. Uh, yeah, but it's just a, it's a, and it's a fantastic. T- it's it's super smart writing. The characters are incredible. But it's also what Dina and Bob did is Dina kind of took it and overlaid it in with some of her life experiences. So we were looking at building out something that was going to probably look very TSO ish, like big epic, mythic level production. Uh, but but with COVID, we were just getting into the point where we we're going to start workshopping things. Uh, but with the uncertainty that came with the plague, um, yeah. you, you know, there was a kind of a general sense of what do we do now? And I, and I, and I said, I think what we do now is we take this into Unreal Engine and we make, oh my it, God. Uh, we make it an interactive experience you're going to have in, in a container that you might call a game, but it's not a game. Right. So listen, man, what you're describing is, is fascinating to me. Burning Man is about to do this virtual, uh, virtual event, right? Which is, it's in this platform. That's kind of, sort of a little bit like second life, but not quite. Mm -hmm. Um, and all of my friends are doing, they're rolling out their installations as virtual pieces for this. And it's, it's, it's such a, cool concept. The metaverse, Uh, right? (laughs) Yeah, man. It, it really, it really, uh, it gets into very sci-fi territory where, where you have this second, this second reality where you're, where you're hosting events and meeting up with your friends and, and experiencing uh, life. Well, look, you know, I think if we look at what Travis Scott did in Fortnite, which was kind of a, a, a precursor to, to, to that in some ways. And, sure. you know, and I, I appreciated also what Tomorrowland, uh, you know, did I, you know, Although I have to say, I thought it, I thought the production values were incredible, 
but I wanted like with Tomorrowland, I wanted to be able to set up my own campsite on that island and invite my friends and create yeah. art and kind of do what like what you're describing is happening on the virtual playa, right? Right, right. So it's uh, but that's that's very similar to that is what we're trying to do for Avalona is a little bit kind of an on rails experience in the sense that we want you to go through this in a certain tempo and with music and narrative that are making sense but we're trying to give also a lot of agency in the experience. So it's, you know, if you were going to try to intersect, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, sleep no more with a massive multiplayer uh, approach. Well, that's, that's kind of what I imagine in my mind, you know, is, is like a sleep no more vibe. How else would you, would you do it? You know, it's like you, you would, it's essentially, it's not a free for all, but there's like a performance happening but then you've got all these entities that can kind of like wander around sandbox style and interact with whatever is around to interact with. You know, it's like you're not going to have a bunch of virtual people sitting in chairs looking at a stage. That's not how a virtual performance would go down. You know, it's like people would be wandering around and like playing with things. Yeah. And that that's cool, man. That's a really cool paradigm shift. It, it requires some deep thinking. I mean, at a certain level, you can look at it and say, how do we do this? And you're like, well, you do it like theater in the round in terms of yeah. like how you get people to focus where you want them to focus. But then you have to provide people with boundaries and keep them on track. And, you know, well, you can do that with the game dynamics, though, yeah, right? Inside right. Unreal, you can set up. It's very much like creating a game. It right? is. It is exactly, exactly the same mechanics to, to keep, to motivate people and to, you know, to encourage them to move according to a certain narrative thread and in a certain timing, you know, right. it's just all the same shit that you would see uh, in, in online uh, multiplayer gaming for sure. So do you see us moving in regardless of COVID, right? Like this has happened now. This is not going away. Not and, going and the lessons, the technology that we develop in response to COVID will be there moving forward. Yep. So even if we go back to the theater, there's going to be this other thing, man, that exists now where people have kind of gotten used to these virtual events. Do you see theater like moving, at, at least branching off into, into a, a, a real virtual element of oh there's no question about it because i think look we're gonna see uh we're gonna see a re-collision of cinema into theater and that collision is going to take place in gaming engines and that's where we're going to we're going to define and find whole new forms of participatory storytelling zero question these things are not going to be games they're not going to be interactive movies they're going to be something else and they're going to be fundamentally theatrical in, in, in many cases. And I think that this is going to be a branch and a language and a venue for theater. Right. For sure. Yeah. Isn't that so crazy, man? Like we're witnessing the birth of a new, like, like meta industry, almost the same way that convergence produced, like whatever the fuck is happening in, like on stages now, it's like, it's like you're seeing this new technology giving birth to a whole new industry. Well, and if you think the technology players don't know that too, this whole tussle that's going on between Apple and Epic has got zero to do with Fortnite revenue. It's got everything to do with the fact that Epic owns the Unreal Engine. 
you know, and therefore own something that is potentially the operating system for for all a all of the R's AR VR MR XR, you know, and uh, these kind of experiences. You know, you're you're witnessing big software-driven media conglomerates like Apple and now Epic, who suddenly Epic woke up and they're like, wait a minute, architects are using Unreal, filmmakers are using Unreal, uh, interactive experimental artists are using Unreal, and they twigged to it fast. They were like, oh, wait a minute. This this goes, the, the, the implications of this economically, artistically, culturally are ginormous. Right, so I don't know about this this tussle. What's going on with Apple and Epic? Basically, Epic, uh, Apple has thrown Fortnite off of the App Store. And, so short sighted, and and it's because Epic turned on in app purchases in Fortnite that gatewayed you not through the App Store but through their did, and they did it to precipitate this battle with Apple because Apple then. Apple then said, well, that's not how it it works for anybody and we're not going to make an exception for you. So you're off the store. And literally like within 90 minutes, Fortnite hit with this incredibly slick media campaign where they remade the 1984 commercial from Apple, but in game and unreal. And now the per, the thing on the screen was like a rotten apple saying we are going to collect all the revenue and the character <laughs> comes running in with a giant like you know a uh, Fortnite hammer or something and throws right. it on the screen it was a 1984 commercial again you know That's they, they were out with that with like in the same day it all went down so clearly epic was was teeing this up and they knew what right. apple was going to do but it doesn't have anything. It doesn't really. Fortnite is just the intro chapter for what is really a much larger battle between these entities. And Google piled into this fight immediately too, because they really, yes, Google threw Fortnite also off their app store. And again, this isn't about games. It's about Epic owning a platform that so many other developers create games with, you know, sure. and, and, and what happened was, and the present situation is it immediately went to court and uh, the the judge per- gave Epic relief on Apple was going to, to, to X out anything to do with Unreal on, on all of those ecosystems, iOS, uh, OS X, Mac OS, whatever they're calling it now, uh, which is, and the, the judge said, well, that doesn't seem to have anything to do with what Epic did with Fortnite. So no. You can't. Yeah, I mean that would be a huge problem though, because if they if basically operating systems like you still have to run the Unreal Engine within an operating that's system. Correct. You still have to. So so and they and so there there we see that this isn't about Fortnite. This is about these big software media conglomerates twigging to the the knowing that that this what we are talking about these new forms of participatory entertainment communication, et cetera, these are going to happen via engines like Unreal or Unity or whatever Apple and Google are cooking up. I was going to ask you about Unity because a lot of, the, a lot of my peers uh, use, the, use Unity to do, to do these installations as their operating system for interactive pieces. Uh, we've used Unreal primarily to do previs and, and proof of concepts for, for clients, but uh, Unity is, is another uh, 
really full featured system to do these things in. Well, and I think that uh, the difference is that, you know, this is, it's fossil to say this. It's, it's not entirely the right metaphor, but it's kind of like unreal is Mac and yeah. unity is Linux. Right, man. It you know, totally get is. way under the hood with unity deep into the, the core wiring of things to do things. Whereas with Unreal, you can still do a lot. I mean, you can code your way into tons of stuff with Unreal. But 100%. Unreal has got kind of this approachable skin to it. Yeah. Right? And they also have that that modular-based uh, environment. It's like uh, the, that programming language. You like tile together blocks and blah, blah, blah. What's it called? It's called like Unreal Build or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and, and I think... And I like the, all the different kind of packagings of Unreal now, like, like you know, with Pixitope or Eximetry or like there are people who are building skins for Unreal to adapt it to like production use for broadcast and stuff. And Interesting. You know, I know so, but I, I have the same experience that you do. I know a lot of sort of deep technologically infused artists who are using Unity because they can because they have that ability to go deeper under the hood with it and to bend it more specifically to what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, and then, then, uh, you know, but at the same time, you know, unreal and Epic have taken these steps to make unreal accessible to art, to architects, for instance, yeah. or accessible to, you know, be on set during feature film stuff. So, yeah, you know, that's, I think that's the difference. I'm so do you guys... sorry to say this, but I have an eight o'clock. <laughs> okay. That's fine, man. That's fine. But uh, which which I've told them that I'm going to be with them shortly, so we don't have. Don't to- sweat it. I'm really stoked that uh, that we got to to sit down and we can do this again, man. Like definitely. Yeah. I mean, sure. this is, uh, yeah. This has been one of the more interesting conversations I've had. Well, we uh, kind of we kind of roamed all over the place. I'm sorry if I hijacked your podcast and started. Yeah, dude, that's what this is all about, you know, man. Volleying questions back at you, but uh, this is definitely this is what it's all about. Right on, man. Well, listen, Bob, I, I'll let you go and do your thing, but um, yeah, thanks again. Absolutely, let's do it again. Absolutely, brother. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, take care, be healthy. All right, bye. See ya. <laughs>